Okay. Not sure what's called. All right. Let me see. Ken Johnston. Yes. Can you hear me now? Loud and clear. Okay. We've been getting the UFO sound. Did you hear a UFO sound? <laughs> Our submarine there was sound. Some, some alien yeah, submarines. You got it. That's what I heard. <laughs> it happened last night. So welcome, everybody. This is your Allied Command, Commander Johnston, speaking with Teresa J. Morris for UFO Secret Space Command tonight. And I'm really happy to be here. And uh, we're going to talk. I put Commander Garrett, but I may have to change that. So, uh, Ken, as far as you know, Don's not going to show up tonight, or you don't know? I, I'm about 98% sure he will not be on tonight. All right. Well, I'm going to take our mind and his name out. We're just going to talk with uh, Commander Johnston is what we're we're calling him. And his name is Ralph Ken- Kennedy Johnston Sr. So we're going to do a thorough uh, background check on him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we've known him for many years. <laughs> we're going to uh, talk here with Ken and let, let Ken introduce yourself and then Ken I'll tell you what tonight let's get you vetted for everybody because we've had a lot of trouble with people that think they're the only ones with the uh, narrative in space right so we're going to change that because everybody has the right to their own life story and uh, that's what our group is going to be about so you and I've had some talks and uh, we've had some controversy over people in social media and you and I are holding our own now. So let's get you introduced. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell people about yourself. I'll put some pictures up there they can go and look at. But go ahead and you tell people who you are and everything you've done in life. Let's start there. When you were a little boy, born in Kansas City, Missouri, and the house took off in a tornado. One of those stories, okay? Okay, okay, well... Uh, I think the best way to do it is jump all the way back to me because I've been I've been a living cell for at least um, uh, 77 years Earth time. So if you go back to 1942, that was when I was officially born, and I was born to uh, Captain Abraham Russell Johnston, uh, Senior, and my mother Janice Roberta White Johnston. And uh, fortunately, at the time, was at Fort Sam Houston, San Antonio, when uh, Eisenhower, Colonel, he was full bird Colonel at the time, and he became, of course the commanding general over all the uh, Pacific fleets and everything else during World War II. But um, one of the interesting things, early part of my life, when um, my my mother and father used to play bridge with uh, Mamie and Ike Eisenhower, and uh, it was uh, probably Christmas Eve since they had to maintain the base there at Fort Sam Houston while everybody else went on Christmas break. Um, <laughs> he um, Mother says, okay, I'm going to go and get some coffee for everybody and Ike says, here, I'll hold him. And at the time, I was only two months old. And so he took me. And Mother comes back in with coffee cups and coffee and looking. And Ike Eisenhower is holding me off at arm distance. <laughs> he says, I says, he says, here, take him. I think he sprung a leak. And for those of you who don't understand, we didn't have pampers back in those days. Good old cloth diapers. And so I have the privilege of admitting that I actually went on a future president of the United States. So from back then, I went on off and became – We'll skip up um, the Panhandle of Texas. Mother was married to a T.C. Ray and the family after the Korean War. And, uh, well, my father, though, was, was killed during World War II as a, a bomber pilot. So then she remarried. 
and I wound up uh, in in Texas, a little town called Hart, H-A-R-T, Texas, 560 people, and that counted all of the farmers around in, in the surrounding area, and uh, this allowed me to learn how to, to farm and everything else. I never really enjoyed it. My older brother, A.R. Johnston, and Jimmy, I was the baby of the family, um, they loved it. You know, it was, uh, that was the kind of thing they liked. They both had brown, areas, brown hair and brown eyes, and I have blonde hair and blue eyes. Go figure that one out. I wound up going off to military academy, military academy at the Oklahoma Military Academy and graduated from high school and, and junior college there. And my best friend comes in the dorm. Uh, we were during the summer. We were going to Oklahoma City University, and he comes in and he says, "Well, Ken, I joined the Marine Corps." And in my brilliance, I said, "The hell you have! You can't go without me." So I go down the next day and enlist, and we go from being captains in advanced ROTC to Marine Corps butt privates at San Diego. Well. We had qualified for advanced electronic training, and uh, fortunately, because that was right at the same time they shipped the whole first bunch out to Vietnam, and uh, so we finished up uh, uh, the electronic training, went back to El Toro, and then I was picked up to go to Pensacola, Florida to become an officer and a pilot. That's where I got my pilot training was at Pensacola, and uh, by the time I finished up all the flight training, my first four years of service uh, was coming to an end, and uh, they won't send you overseas if you have less than a year of service left. And so they were trying to get me to reenlist, and I looked and decided, you know, I don't think I need to reenlist just to go over and be in the war. So I took my, I took my leave, and I went um, back. And so here I had as a pilot, and I had avionics training and all, and at the time we were building up the, uh, the engineering groups and things for the Apollo program. My brother, Dr. A.R. Johnston, was – in charge of the, the CECL, that Space Environmental Simulation Simulator uh, vacuum chamber. That chamber A was the largest vacuum chamber in the world back in 1966. And um, he told me to get my fanny down to Houston to the JSE, Johnson Space Center. It was MSC back then. Um, and, and so they changed the name uh, when Johnson got in. And, uh, after Kennedy was assassinated and Johnson got in, they changed it to Johnson Space Center. Anyway, so there were so many people wanted people with my experience. I had like five or six offers making almost ten times as much as I was making in the Marine Corps. But uh, I chose to go with the Grumman Corporation that was building the lunar module. And my job was the same. There were four of us that were uh, classified as what they call civilian astronaut consultant pilots. And I have to tell people whenever they go in, they say, oh, you were, a, you were an astronaut. I was a civilian astronaut that, that we did in the vacuum chamber so that I never made it into space because I wasn't a NASA astronaut. Anyway, so uh, we went to work there. We tested all the way through. I, I got to know a lot of the original first seven astronauts during some of the social meetings we had, as well as uh, Dr. Werner von Braun from the German's paperclip and several of those. So uh, my history goes back quite a ways in some of the secrets of the space program. And uh, once we finished the... Uh, the Apollo 11, 12, 13, and 14, I left the Lunar Receiving Laboratory and uh, went on over to ILC and helped in developing the space shuttle uh, spacesuits and tested those out and all. In fact, that, um, well, no, we'll get into that later. Um, after quite a few years, in 1980, I decided it was time to get into the civilian world, and I, I left and went all the way up to Seattle, Washington, to work for the Boeing Company. And he was a flight instructor on Boeing 737s for 14 years. I took an early retirement from Boeing and came to Houston. Excuse me. No, not Houston. Came down here to Albuquerque, down to a little town called Belen, B-E-L-E-N, which was 
actually became it was a, a little German colony down here. And um, by moving down here, it allowed me to get uh, settled in and into a little bit of a retirement and, and start, you know, handling things. And we started raising little miniature horses. So my wife and I have about 14 little miniature horses that she's, it's her thing. She loves that. So she would go to, to horse shows and things and nationals and things. And some of her horses have been national champions and all. So it came time that people were asking me questions about, well, what did you guys find on the moon and what were you involved in? And I had saved an archive of 8 by 10 pictures and, and negatives and positive transparencies and some news. Every time, when I was the director of the Data and Photo Control Department, when we had scientists from around the world that would come and want to have the specific pictures of their sample they were going to work on from the moon, and they would want to um, have the, the best pictures and the best um, well, sitting down <laughs> as good of a, of a photograph pictures that we could of their samples on the surface and then tell them exactly where it was. Well, that was my job. But when I would order pictures for them, I would order one and keep it on file. And uh, it wasn't after Apollo 14, I was given directions to get rid of all of the extras. And we had five sets of all of the pictures and things in my, my office. And I argued with them. I said, well, we ought to send them to the universities and let the universities that have science departments have a good set. And I was argued for oh, a good 15 minutes with my, my supervisor. And um, yeah, I, told him, I, I couldn't. He finally said, you know, just, I don't care what you do, just get rid of all but one set. And I took that as a, a, as a direction, so I did exactly what he said. I put, I put three sets in the Dempsey dumpster, which, by the way, one of the people has found a bunch of those and saved them and had come forward with those. I put three sets into the density dumpsters. I took one set to keep on file from my office for visiting scientists, and uh, the other one I put into a duffel bag, and I took it home after all. I was told, whatever you do, just get rid of all but one set, and I did that. Well, some 25 years, 30 years later, um, 25 years later, um, that would have been, whatever it was, 19, oh, 1990. 1998, and uh, a man by the name of Richard C. Hoagland uh, had been had been talking on radio and all saying, you know, there are people out there that have information that have pictures uh, about the moon. They need to come forward and let us let us all know what uh-huh. was really found. In the moon. <laughs> so I came I came forward and I told him that I had this, and I met him in Seattle, and they were he and are his team was and um, something something. Uh, something's going on with your phone just then, Ken, just so you know, because it'll be on our recording. Uh, just, really? I don't know what touched it. Yeah, something touched the phone. All right. Well, uh, will you repeat, repeat that? I put, yeah. Yeah, I, I put it on there. Um, at about 19, uh, 1998, um, I was, well, when I was, I was a flight instructor there, and one of my buddies called me and says, you need to, to um, uh tune in the radio to uh, Richard C. Hoagland, and he's talking about uh, asking people that have any information about um, bases on the moon and stuff. They need to come forward while it's safe because we had had some stories of certain people that had kept their mouths shut and they started to talk and they wound up having auto accidents and different things. And I'm not saying that anything was planned like that, but you know, it makes you kind of think twice. And, uh, and Mr. Hoagland, when I contacted him and told him what I have, and he was at, at a conference in Seattle and I was just outside in Tacoma, the little town there. And um, I made arrangements to come down to his meeting, and I, I came in and uh, introduced myself. And uh, he came to my home, 
uh, with three other people, and we went through my archive, and they were just unbelievable. They were saying that they've seen this picture before, but they had been they'd been doctored or you know uh, they had made changes to the picture so they didn't show what was on the surface, et cetera. So that was the start of the story of Ken's archive. Now, Mr. Hogan then did a brilliant thing. He said, you know, we need to get you so public that if anything happened to you, then there would be an investigation, and we don't want that to happen. So he took me to Washington, D.C., to the National Press Club, and the, the, the International Press Club, and I came forward with uh, the stories about how I wound up with this archive and where the pictures were and how they were in the, in the banks and the safes and uh, to protect everything. And, uh, and that was the beginning of, of my protection. And it's interesting, though, that I have had uh, people in black hats or whatever you want to call them um, show up and try to um, intimidate me. And or now that we've got computers and internets, I've had them come out and claim that I didn't know this or didn't know that, and, and that I was a liar. I was in India uh, three years ago, and um, <laughs> I was in the middle of the night. They had uh, security came over and took me out and said that they were contacted that, that someone called me uh, over in uh, Assam, India, and said that um, that I wasn't who I said I was. That I was just there to to lie and try to steal money from them. No. And I said, oh, let me guess. I bet that's Richard Hoagland. And they said, how did you know that? I said, well, because he does that periodically. He goes after me, and then all I have to do is give you the documents and the records and the proof of who I am. And that's exactly what I did. And the guy said, oh, wow. That's, I said, okay, well, well, we'll clear this up this morning. Well, the next, this was 1 o'clock in the morning. At 7 o'clock, they had a, a vehicle come up to pick me up and my, my escort. We went down the, the hill, two and a half hours to get down from the hill, get over to where the airport was, on dirt roads, and we stopped at a T-intersection dirt roads. My security got out, and the, the assistant uh, director of the science department of India got in, and they drove to the airport. They got out and had put me in a holding room. She got the, uh, the um, chief of security for the, for the airport, and they came in and gave me a ticket to, to leave Assam and go to the capital of India. And they told me to leave and don't come back again. Well, a couple of months after I got back to America, and by the way, uh, my wife had no idea where I was for over 36 hours, and she was very concerned because in Assam where I was happens to be uh, predominantly Muslim. And um, it would have been pretty easy for them to get rid of me, I guess. But when I got back, um, they contacted me. And I have a nice letter of apology that they were sorry that they didn't get the correct information. They found out that uh, Oberg was the one that was spreading all the rumors and the lies and that I was so And invited me back with my wife. And my wife said, no, I don't think we need to go back there yet. We'll consider it in the future. Anyway, that brought me down to the point where the information was getting out. And then I was asked to come forward and start speaking at some of these um, UFO and um, contact convention deals, and after a couple of years and going out and presenting that and being sure that my archive was secure, we went to Roswell, to the Roswell uh, UFO Museum and Research Center, and presented them with a, a digital copy of all the videos, the, mo- the slides, the uh, um, 8x10 prints and pictures. So they're secure. And people from around the world have been able to get access down to all of the the material that I saved of the parts that, well, that I didn't throw away. Um, after all, I did what I was told. I don't care what you do, just get rid of all but one set. 
And I did that, and they left us up there. So since then, well, I, I spent my whole time with Boeing as a, um, a 737 flight instructor. After we left there, as I said, we moved to Seattle and then down to to Berlin, and uh, where we discovered little miniatures. We had big horses up in Seattle, a couple of them. And my wife has always loved horses, and it's her thing, and I love her. And so we've got horses. When we found the miniature horses, it was love at first sight. She loves those little things and takes good care of them. So here we are now, uh, waiting 50 years since we landed on the moon to find out why the things that I was a, a party of knowing about hasn't been made worldwide public and what we're calling full disclosure. And uh, I finally, as I said, I got fed up and made the information available. And now I've been going around to giving talks and showing pictures that people are just shocked at and being able to see. And now, thanks to um, T.J. Morris, I'm having the opportunity to ask the people out there who's had who've had experiences, direct contacts or what have you, Come and join what we're doing. We we are finding that people want to enjoy what we're talking about, the secret space program, and we've got a, an organization where we are taking on positions and people can say that we're having fun and, and coming out and telling stories, and, and as, whether it's real or not. But you know what? When we come out and tell the whole truth, even in a story form, it allows us to be able to get the information out and the rest of the people that have maybe been involved, what we've been involved with, are willing to come forward now because they'll know they're not alone. And here we are, finally, in the point of what I'm calling full disclosure. So if you're out there listening to this, I'm the one you want to contact. So let's let's get the information out there. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. I think that's wonderful, Ken. And you and I both knew Alan Bean, the first artist of another world. He was the fourth astronaut to walk on the moon. And I'd like to dedicate this show to him, if you don't mind, because we both met Alan Bean. And I'd like you to, anything you remember about him, folks, he lived March 15, 1932, the same year my mother was born, and he died May 26, 2018, okay? So uh, let, what do you think? Can I, can I talk about that for a minute? Or you want to just yeah. go ahead and... No, no, no. Uh, I agree with you completely. But I do want to add add one to that because now Alan Bean was one of the, the, the first seven. I And most of them had already retired when I got down to Houston in 1996. Uh, <laughs> oh, 1996. And uh, so Alan Bean wasn't there, but occasionally, and I got to meet the, most all of the, uh, the original ones, but the gentleman I would like to add in that also uh, perished in there, that was Jim Irwin. He and I, uh, he was Apollo 14, and he and I spent uh, more than a 1,000 hours working together inside the uh, the lunar module, LTA-8, in the vacuum chambers. So may I add one on to that? It's actually all of them belong, but I certainly think that we, Alan Bean deserves recognition. I appreciate that. All right. Well, all right. Well, we'll do uh, several, I guess, that we know. Apollo 14 is, is very important, but... Alan Bean I met in his gold Corvette with, I called them black bat wings, but he was the lunar module pilot of Apollo 12 and the fourth man to set foot on the moon. Now, he has, uh, somebody is paying for an Alan Bean website, so thank you. I haven't vetted it yet, folks. I didn't know I was going to do this. Mostly what I do is impromptu a lot of times, and you may know that, but 
apparently he's the first artist on another world, Alan Bean, and uh, it said, he, he wrote this, and he said, uh, it's very short, but let me read it to you. The first, I think that's great, the first paintings of another world by an artist who was actually there. I was the lunar module pilot of Apollo 12 and the fourth man to set foot on the moon. I explored the beautifully desolate landscape of the ocean of storms and later as commander of Skylab 3, Skylab Mission 2. I spent 59 days in orbit around our fragile blue and white Earth. I had been painting earthbound subjects for many years. By the time I returned from Apollo 12 and Skylab 3 mission, but my fellow astronauts convinced me to paint my experiences on the moon. You can create the very first paintings in all of history of a place other than our own planet, they said. Your paintings will forever be the first paintings of the many other world humans. Oh, there's something on your making sound. Just a minute. Okay, just a minute. (laughs) I apologize. It's not a spacecraft, and I don't know how to fly a um, a cell phone. (laughs) Okay, yeah. For some reason, uh, even cell phones, every time you touch them, they make a mistake and put it on the air. But let me go back. Okay, I'm going to start it. You can create the first paintings in all of history of a place other than our own planet, they said. Your paintings will forever be the first paintings of the many other world, worlds, plural, worlds humans will visit as the centuries unfold. Because of this unprecedented opportunity and challenge, I resigned from NASA in 1981 to devote all of my time and energy to painting, celebrating the great exploration that was Apollo. Over the years, My art evolved into a mixture of paintings and sculpture, textured with my lunar tools, sprinkled with bits of our Apollo 12 spacecraft, and a touch of moon dust from the ocean of storms. You can see many of my paintings on this site and read more about the space age techniques and material I used to use in my work. Now here's gallery one, two, three, four, and five. And uh, I just wanted to say that, and uh, we'll talk more about him. I met him. He was a very, very nice person. And uh, we can talk about several people, but I want you folks to understand, he didn't lie about being in space, okay? So, uh, and Ken can talk about some things that we've gone through about people thinking that's not real. But Ken and I worked with a lot of very brilliant people, and uh, my husband worked at NASA, Steve Parrish, and he worked uh, Chris Kraft towered him, Stephen Lee Parrish. He was born June 21st, 1949, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, he was not an astronaut, but he worked there, and his father worked for Grumman, and so did Ken. So everybody, not just the men that walked on the moon, but everybody that was a part of NASA deserves to be heard and that lived through that time of all the Apollo missions and everything, but especially from the time my mother was born and Alan Bean was born in 1932. And uh, Don Garrett came on here last week with Ken. And uh, Ken, just talk for a moment about Don Garrett last week, and we'll try to get him back on because he's one of those NASA people. Now, 
he mentioned he was Air Force. Why don't you give them just a little bit about Don, and he can come back and listen to it with you knowing yeah. a little bit about him, and then we'll go into that uh, the other astronauts. Go ahead. Don Garrett was actually kind of like my, my second first brother, my brother A.R. Johnston. Anyway, Don Garrett it was the son of my mother's sister. Uh, anyway, Don, Don Garrett was, um, went to the West Point and was graduating from West Point and, uh, at the time when the Air Force Academy was, was building up, and they were given the opportunity, actually, when he, when he graduated, did he want to go into the Air Force or uh, stay in the Army? Well, he always wanted to fly, so Don chose to, to become an Air Force also, he became an, all the way up to Air Force captain, but he was a fighter pilot, jet pilot. One of the funniest things about it, though, is six foot two, and uh, when he gets inside of one of these small fighters, and there'd been a little short guy like me, about you know five foot eight, <laughs> and he would taxi out and get ready to take off, and he'd hit the switch to have the canopy come down. It had hit him on the top of the head, and he'd had to crunch down and reach down with, and pull the lever and make the seat lower down to the bottom of it. But uh, Don was a brilliant person. He was picked by the Air Force to be a part of their mold program, which was like the Skylab, and um, was sent to Houston to work with the rest of us on testing the lunar modules so that he'd be up to speed to all of that. And and I'll say this to add to what uh, TJ just said. Uh, Once we had landed on the moon and was going on, and the government canceled uh, some of the other other programs, we were – Grumman actually laid off almost 30,000 employees nationwide – so and that's whenever my job wound up ending, and I went over to the, the lab to work with the um, uh, ILC to help train the astronauts how to wear the spacesuits and what to do in that. So now Don Garrett was, um, and still is, one of the few around that has all the information in his head about things that went on behind the doors and and the people we met, even from the old paper lip, paper paper clip crews of Boner um, von Braun. He, he's a very brilliant person. Um, he actually invented how you could create uh, artificial created di- diamonds with uh, all the carbon stuff and, uh, and dynamite and a, and a vault type thing to be compressed and with all the heat and fire from dynamite and created diamonds. It's amazing. So we'll try to have Don on the, on the program with us sometime in the future. Thank you. Now, you mentioned another gentleman. I guess he was an astronaut. Did you mention... Jim Irwin, was that who you mentioned? Jim Irwin, um, right. Jim Irwin and I were extremely good friends. And as I say, we spent nearly 1,000 hours of my 3,000 hours inside the lunar module spacecraft. And that's why he was picked to take um, uh, the place of the astronaut Apollo. uh, Gosh, I'm having a problem here. 14, I think. And uh, and replace him because... um, they thought he had, had been exposed to measles, and so Jim Irwin was stepped in because he was so well-trained. Of all the rest of the astronauts, he was the most well-trained of, on uh, the lunar module spacecraft. So Jim was a very – he was a, a test pilot for the Air Force, and he wound up um, getting injured in, in a crash of um, one of the fastest test craft that we had, and they didn't think he'd ever walk again, but he proved them wrong. He came back, and he was able to be selected as one of the regular astronauts of the group they were in and, and get in all the tests we had and then wound up going to the moon. So you don't give up on your dreams. You hang in there. Well, I recognize his face and as an astronaut, so I must have met him in, down in NASA while my husband was working there over at NASA Bay National or just coming and going. But I remember him, and we'd like to uh, – 
he, he, let's just talk about him for a moment. He was born March 17th, 1930 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He died August 8th, 1991 in Glidwood Springs, Colorado. It says his space mission was Apollo 15, and his education was U.S. Air Force test pilot, United States Naval Academy, and University of Michigan in East High School. His awards were Naval NASA Distinguished Service Medal and Air Force Distinguished Service Medal. So Alan Bean has his, alanbean.com. Let's see if Jim Irwin has a website. If not, we need to definitely make him. I mean, he's got, it says, Jim Irwin Apollo 15 Salute National Air and Space Museum. And then James Irwin, Eighth Man on the Moon, space.com. Uh, I see, To Rule the Night, To Discover Voyage of Astronaut Jim Irwin on Amazon. Rule Night, Discovery Voyage Astronaut of, uh, To Rule the Night, The Discovery Voyage of Astronaut Jim Irwin. William A. Emerson Jr. on Amazon. So uh don't see a Jim Irwin right now, but uh that's gonna be something that I guess talking about them helps people that know them and remember them. And that's a good thing, folks, because history to me I like history. We're gonna talk about the future too, but there are so many people we would like to remember and uh Ken you were in a closed environment with Jim Irwin. Now, what does that mean? What? Draw us a picture. Uh, that was Apollo 15 when you came. Did y'all have to get in the chamber to practice something? What were you doing? <laughs> no, no. Actually, LTA8. That's Lunar Module Test Article Number Eight, and this was a a fully space rated um, lunar module and descent module. And uh, it was we put it installed it inside of Chamber B, which was the smaller of the two big vacuum chambers. And we had to have a staircase on the inside. We had a, a uh, an airlock which we could pump down to the same uh, vacuum that the big chamber had, which was 10 to the minus 12 tor for you science people, which means there's about one molecule of air for every cubic foot. In other words, you wouldn't live very long if you didn't have if the door came open. So what we would do is go in the airlock pump it down with our spacesuits on, of course, and pump it down to 10 to the minus 12 tor, open the inner door, go in, go up the steps, and then we had to get out on our hands and knees to crawl in through the door of the lunar module and then stand up on the inside. Well, um, the the uh, descent stage primary main engine that was fired to, to bring them down to the lunar surface and also afterwards to, to fire the upper stage uh, engine to take us on up into orbit to rendezvous with the command module, but um, what I'm going to get at is that the um, the engine for the ascent stage actually protruded up inside of the the um, cabin, if you will, of the of the lunar module. We some of us would sit on that while we were spending hours inside because the most people don't realize the lunar module was flown standing up because you were in a zero gravity situation. So we had uh, connections on our belts on the sides of our of our spacesuits. We'd hook those. Uh, cables that would keep us, our feet down to the floor so we didn't fly or bounce around while we're using the controls. And it's very similar to a helicopter for the helicopter pilots out there because your your uh, right hand was for your, your roll, pitch, and yaw um, of all six movements, you know, left, right, up, down. And the left hand was a, a TTCA or a thrust translation controller assembly, which allowed you to traverse backwards, up, 
down, left, right. So that's what we were testing all those and using the, the RCS, our re reaction control systems, the little small jets that would, would cause us to translate along or to roll and pitch and all. It's, it's how you learn to fly. And same thing with helicopter pilots. They've got to have the, the control stick in one hand. They've got to have the other hand on the throttle and a uh, device down on the side of the seat next to them. So helicopter pilots would make great uh, lunar module spacecraft pilots, only we've got better systems now. And we, we can talk about that when we get into a secret space program, TJ. All right. Well, I don't know how much you want to cover tonight, but uh, folks, we're doing this off the cuff, so I'm very happy to say that I'm paying money for Spreaker to load my blog talk radio from New York uh, so I don't have to keep it in my computer, and I'm paying for archiving, which I've done for many years now, but uh, I'm learning how to keep stuff in the cloud and then just pay companies like GoDaddy. I bought some extra, uh, not just shared hosting, but dedicated hosting today. It's going to cost me another $50 a month by the time I'm through. But it's okay because I pay about that here, uh, 40 or 50, I don't know, uh, 40, I think, for blog talk just to get this live two hours a day, $20 on Spreaker. And a lot of other places that like us, we're content providers, and they put us in live and recorded podcasting all over, uh, well, in the Internet space. So uh, FM radio, iTunes, we're on iTunes if you'd like to go to TJ Mars ET Radio. So I have to keep using that name because that's where everything is stored for those of you listening. <clears throat> now, Ken is obliged to coming on Fridays. So we can talk about the people in the Allied Command that he is building of the ancient history and the New Thought history, New Thought teachings, awakening consciousness. So we have UFO Secret Space Command that we have started in Facebook as a free social media place, but we're also going to have three tiers of education, and we're going to have webinars, and we're going to certify members based on their education, profile, bio. And we're going to have Norio Hayakawa on soon with his blog he calls Civilian Intelligence. Now, I like to feature intelligence uh, based on the fact that I meet people or I've known people that have worked NSA, CIA, FBI, uh, Secret Service, because I've known a lot of these people. But... Uh, uh, I also met astronauts. I met presidents of the United States. But, you know, does our history matter? Because when you cross a path, why? We're get, Ken and I are both metaphysicians, to be honest with you, and we're also universal life ministers out of Modesto, California. So we have those uh, pieces of paper that anybody's keeping up. But also we've met people, and we're here to help with the future in communications and how we talk to each other and how we share because so many of our friends I'm 67 and Ken is aren't you 77 let me let you say that I'm 67 I'm just getting started and you're 77 now when were you born for the record and where October 1942 at Fort Sam Houston San Antonio uh, you know, San Antonio New Mexico Texas, I'm sorry, Texas. 
I'm a Texan, I guess. You're born Texas. My children are too. And when I was going to high school from Louisiana and moved over to West Monroe High School, I mean, from West Monroe High School to James Madison High School, being a Texan was very important. And I always felt less than because all the Texans were so proud to be Texans. And of course, when later on I, I had horses, we took the horses from uh, West Monroe, Louisiana, Countess, and we had a uh, races, not races, shows in Dallas, and then we had some in Houston. And I would go to Pen Oaks Charity Horse Show every year, and I sat in the box with Joan Robinson Hill. Made quite a splash in Houston after she died, but jo- her husband was still alive and insisted I sit in her booth. I was very pretty and one of their friends, but didn't go over really well at that time. So. Uh, Ken has small horses that he mentioned when he was talking earlier. And, uh, you know, we know people as equestrians, but this UFO Secret Space Command, uh, Commander Johnston, we're going to call him Commander in our ACO uh, Association. We have ACO Club. We have Ascension Center Organization for our Ascension Age people that know of what we were doing back in the day. We didn't have Ascension Center. We didn't have Ascension, and we had New Age, and we had them in the bookstores. But I've separated ACO Association for the Health, Body, Mind, and Spirit people, Spiritual Science, and then we have the UFO Association for people. But Ken can fit in either one. Ken, you can do spirituality, metaphysics with me, and ACO Association, Health and Wellness and uh, advocate for being an ambassador of goodwill. But you can also do that with me and the UFO Association and the Nuts and Bolts with NASA, uh, Unidentified Flying Objects, Unidentified Submersible Objects, and Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. That's a mouthful. Unidentified Anomalous (laughs) Phenomena as UAP. So that's sort of why I chose Ken, because he has a background in space and in flying as a pilot. And I live right here where he went to school at Pensacola, right across the bridge. So we have a lot in common, and I got to work with the Marines, and so did Ken. And they were the ones that would show up on the beach, and then we had Seabees. And I got to work with the Seabees in Hawaii, Ken. So why don't you start about how you see all our military, some of them may want to come on the show, like Don or anybody that's still alive, but uh, what, what do you foresee, and we can use 20 minutes and then the last hour can be all our secret, UFO secret space stuff, but what do you foresee with uh, the type of people that can help us with all our, our allied command? I say allied. Do you like that word? Because it's like... I like allied. Because that, that brings in everybody. That brings in everybody. It's not just... One of the things I wanted to add real quick, though, is that um, we were talking about um, uh, the experience solar system ambassadors because uh, it's very interesting. That's exactly what um, uh, NASA had called those of us that were going out to public organizations and giving talks and lectures about what we were doing, going to the moon and uh, going up into space and creating the... Uh, space station and all those things and uh, very interesting that's exactly what I was labeled once I got involved with the secret space program as a solar system ambassador which basically I take as meaning it's our job to 
get the information out to the world and make it to where people can accept the fact. If you go all the way back to H.G. Wells' big uh, thing in 1938 where uh, he was on the radio and he, he put on this little skit that everybody thought was real. He was talking about an alien craft coming in and landing. I guess it was around New York or what have you, and, and people went into panics. People thought that the world was coming to an end. Few people committed suicide jumping off the buildings. And all this was done just for for fun, what he thought, H.G. Wells did. And then so um, NASA asked um, one of the, the top universities to do a study to find out what would be the effect nowadays if um, this was back, I should say, back in 19, oh, that would have been 1978, I think. and No, 1968. And... Um, what would happen if they, they were to discover aliens on the moon or what have you. And the direction came back says, don't mention it because the, the people are not ready yet to accept the fact that we are not alone in the universe. And, and you go back to, um, that was back when the Pope said that no, there was no intelligent beings all over the whole world. Now it's come around in, in the newer uh, age of, of Christianity and, and all. Um, people are recognizing the fact that uh, there, there's way too much evidence and proof that we are not alone in this universe. And now we're getting into the thing of uh, direct contact and what kind of effect that could have upon your religious belief or your particular, your remote uh, feelings. Where, what, how would that affect you? And I think that's something we could talk about a little bit later. And if we have people call in, I'd love to hear what other people have to say when we are busy talking about uh, the effect that uh, uh, coming in contact with other intelligent beings here on this planet called Earth. So that's kind of like what I'd like to hear, see us get into in a few minutes. And you have okay. any more suggestions? Well, I'd like to mention that ACO I use for many things as an acronym, but we also have on the planet ACO, which is Allied Command Operations which is responsible for the planning and execution of all NATO military operations. ACT is headed by the Supreme Allied Commander Transformation, SAT, who exercises his responsibilities from headquarters in Norfolk, Virginia, in the United States. And that used to not be there, but it is now with Wikipedia, which is amazing because it used to not, and the Supreme Allied Commander is uh, the most senior commander in uh, Europe. So uh, we don't want to get confused with all those, but we can't help it now because ACO can stand for a lot of things, and the Allied Command can stand for things. But we're going to educate people about the Supreme Allied Commanders and the senior commanders, and the general of the Army, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who we talk about a lot in... uh, Oh, okay. here, but the, I'm getting some feedback. Oh, is your is yeah, your I'm, uh, I'm, wiggling <laughs> I'm wiggling around in my my rocking chair here, <laughs> so yeah. I apologize. I'm making a noise. It's hard. Yeah, it's uh, Ken is learning how to do. It's very hard to sit really still and do two hours of radio, folks. And uh, Ken has agreed to learn how to do it, but it's amazing because. When he goes back to hear this on YouTube, he'll hear feedback. So uh, make sure your sound's down on your computer. Is it? It's tweaking. I'm not sure. It's why. completely down. 
No, it's the it's the chair when I turn and I lean backwards. Oh, it's, it's, it's the quick yeah. It's me. <laughs> well, we recognize it, folks. So, uh, we'll learn how to do this. But the Supreme Allied Commander, the General of the Army, Dwight D. Eisenhower, served in successful Supreme Allied Commander roles. Eisenhower was the Commander in Chief Allied Force for the Mediterranean Theater. I don't know if everybody knows that. So what I'd like to do, Ken, is when we talk about us and what we're creating in the future, let's also give the history on the planet. We call them the boots on the ground and the history because Eisenhower served as Supreme Commander and Allied Expeditionary Force in the European Theater. Now, that was started in December 1943. Now, that's a very important year because... The creation of the command to execute Operation Overlord and ending July 1944, shortly after the end of World War II in Europe. So that's important. And in 1951, the year I was born, Eisenhower would again be a Supreme Allied Commander to the first to hold post of NATO. Believe it or not, it started. So that's important, Ken. So people know who, you know, my kids don't know this stuff. I don't even know how much of it we knew because we didn't have a place to go on the Internet to go find all this. And so I want to talk. Let me tell you what I put on here because we're going to talk. But I put on here, I'm going to read this for you, Ken. ACO, Allied Command Organizers, okay, Allied Command Organizers. ACO can also stand for Allied Command Organization. But Commander Johnston about the UFO Secret Space Command and how our past history with NASA, the NASA, may affect our future in space. We share welcoming others into our various levels of information, education, entertainment. And let me wait just a minute because it just flipped on me, and I don't know why it did that. Uh, into our various levels of information, education, entertainment, and how it flipped again. We all are all affected by what is now called fake news. Our president of the United States talks a lot about fake news. And in general, it's all the stuff that we've been led to believe that we have shaped and modeled after main corporations that President Eisenhower, in one manner of speaking, warned us about the military-industrial complex. But also, back in the day, he... They, television was becoming more important like Internet is now. But we'll just say, who will define what is real and what is not in cyberspace? The Internet is only one level of our communication, and we are asked to remember our past and how we will begin writing our future. We now share ACO Association and UFO Association for those who desire to awaken our consciousness and how it connects to those above and what some call UFOs and the UFOs, which is underwater submersibles I saw in Hawaii, and unidentified anomalous, anomalous phenomena as UAP. So that's what we have tonight, so we can just mix it all up. So where you want to begin now? UFO secret space. UFOs, USOs, UAP, all of the above fake news, uh, the history, and then what we're comparing in the future. 
again, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Where do you want to go with this? Got an hour and 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's <laughs> just so much to go, to go over and, and get involved in. I, I think, fortunately now, that um, thanks, and actually thanks to uh, television, radio to some respect, but to, to television and uh, our ability to be in contact with um, our fellow human beings on, uh, all over the world, it has allowed us to get to the point where people are no longer in a, a position of, of panic about this, uh, the other aliens e- uh, exist. And, and I like to put it this way. If, if, if the supreme being, God, created intelligent beings on this planet, who's to say that he didn't do it elsewhere in this vast universe? And uh, of the comments that was made in that one of the movies where there'd be an awful lot of wasted space if, if we're the only... Um, intelligent and that's questionable sometimes uh, beings in the universe so uh, our, our job our position and what I see us doing is is getting into the truth getting back into some of the history and knowing where we stand now because in the event not in the event I should say very soon now when you're going to hear more in the the really valid uh, radio television which has been uh, manipulated and controlled for so long has no choice other than come out and, and it, well, we had this um, spacecraft land and or in direct contact and now the United Nations is having to have uh, uh, conferences or speaking with, with intelligent alien beings. Let's face it, if they're that intelligent that they can fly through, through space and come to our planet and be able to land and make communications, they're bound to be intelligent enough to to uh, know how to deal with as primitive a people as some of us really are. And I'm glad to see that now that we're um, coming forward and getting the information out there, that it's, it's going to make it a lot easier. So well, that's one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about tonight is how is that going to affect? And it's going to be because I have a, a degree in theology and I've studied religions and I've actually been a, a, an ordained minister. Um, it's so difficult for um, people that are, are so well indoctrinated in their their own religious backing and belief. And, and I'll say, I can take all that knowledge and stuff I had, and I've gone back, and I'm looking at, there's been evidence of extraterrestrial contact with uh, this planet for thousands of years. And, and when you go back and look at a lot of the scriptures and things, you can take a look and realize it. We're talking about um, non-human intelligent beings involved in what's going on on this planet and with the people involved. So um, that's just one of the things that I, I look at is how it kind of an effect it's going to have on people today. It won't be nearly as difficult, I don't think, as it would have been um, 50 years ago or, or even further back it would be worse, but then uh, as recent as only 50 years ago that most of the people, young, young kids have grown up with television and um, movies all about uh, aliens and, of course, that started off, uh, Hollywood has been a big controlled system to indoctrinate our population, uh, the people, and which started off with uh, oh, aliens crash landing and uh, gobbling up and killing people and this and that and on down the line. Finally, they're, they're, they're um, non-human looking beings that are being really nice and friendly and, and like the little, little boy that says uh, when he saw the spacecraft land on the white land, uh, Washington port, uh, 
porch, and this little fuzzy character comes out. The little boy says, look, Mommy, there's the cookie monster. He's my friend. And that's kind of where we were at. That was, Lord be, that was 50 years ago. And now we're at a point, I think, where um, we, we know that there's a lot that we can learn from uh, any sentient beings that have traversed the universe and, and or have had uh, an effect upon our development or our evolution, if you want to call it that, uh, here on this planet. And then you're going to get into the things about, okay, what have we been doing to this planet? And you've got um, what the, the, the power-hungry, money-controlling, uh, I can't think of the cabal, if you will, um, have kept us locked into petroleum it's been affecting our environment and uh, whole parts of this planet that now we we can hopefully get the intelligence re- released. It's been out there for oh, 60, 70 years that we could not do. We can't do away with petroleum, but what we have to do is just cut back on the way of what we're using it and move into the other types of power and systems for um, transportation around this planet and start taking care of Mother Earth because right now, uh, and left, unless you have a spacecraft bigger than, than what I've seen, uh, we can't leave this planet the way it is. We need to take good care of Mother Earth. And so anybody that's listening to this program realize my whole purpose is to, to get it public enough to where we all have a, a an have it at stake to save the Earth and make it um, the beautiful planet that it used to be, that it needs to be, and in the process uh, does not affect... Um, the rest of our solar system, which affects the, the whole galaxy, which affects the whole universe. So that's kind of a big shot to, in the arm to take a look at and realize, oh, man, the, this, this guy's jumping way off the deep end. But no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I'm, I'd like to hear other people's um, feelings about what the effect it would have on your family so that, um, say, your kid's in college and you're going to have a, a visitor from the um, um, well, let's see, one of the good solar systems out there, kind of thing. That's going to come and give a talk and a presentation at their their university. Are you ready to accept that and understand that it's all a part of education? I think the more education that we we get, and the more we share, and the more that people can look at, the faster we are going to be able to move into the intelligent. Um, well, what do you want to call it? Uh, the, this secret space program where we are in contact with with other intelligent beings. Of course, we're probably going to run into some negative uh, aliens, but by and large, the 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 good, the the right attitude, the right proper people um, and beings are the ones that are going to be the supreme organization. I guess that's probably where that that term came from. The the supreme. Um, Oh, what do you what are you calling it there, TJ? The supreme uh, commander. Allied command. And, yeah, we have Allied go. command, and we have supreme Allied command, and we Absolutely. have those words on the planet and the military and uh, our offices on the ground that a lot of people are not even aware of, including a lot of our military. Uh, they may or may not get it in officer training school or in in our uh, boot camps. And you know what? It's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and we'll go ahead and say Coast Guard and National Guard. And uh, you you work with the high schools. Go ahead and mention what other 
Sea uh, Cadets. I worked with the Sea Cadets. I ran some while I was in Great Lakes. You work with some children, so go ahead and mention those, the children. Oh, uh, no, we won't. High school. School. Young Cadets, how's that? They, they don't like to be called children. Um, actually, the, the uh, um, Civil Air Patrol uh, goes all the way back to the beginning of World War II, um, in which the, the German submarines were all up and down our coastlines, and we weren't fully uh, involved in World War II at the time, 1940, 1941. And um, uh, what they were doing is when ships would come out, they would torpedo and, uh, and sink the ships. Well, when the Civil Air Patrol came along, um, it was a, a lot of adults that either had prior uh, pilots or either owned their own airplane, and they got with uh, the president and with Congress and saying, that, you know, look, we, we have these small airplanes and we can fly up and down the coastlines, whereas the big fast airplanes that you've got, uh, they're going to miss things, and we're down low, flying low and slow. And uh, actually, we, we get uh, credits for sinking two, um, uh, two subs. And one of the things we, they did on a little Piper Cub, would you believe, they put a tube between the two seats in the, in the airplane, and they had like um, – um, not not bombs, but they were they were little um, little little yeah cylinder bombs. They could fly right over the top of it, drop it, and it would it would cause the submarines to have to get out of the area. And so they were no longer as safe. And finally, the uh, the admiral in charge of the the Nazi forces uh, ordered all the submarines away from the American coast because it was too costly. They were losing too many submarines and things. And uh, so back to the the kids. So I mean, what I was getting at is where you had um, the Civil Air Patrol, you had people that uh, medically couldn't, uh, couldn't be part of the active military. These were the adults. And the younger kids wanted to be involved and do something that they could do, and they had help. So they formed the Civil Air Patrol Cadet Program. And it was kids from the ages of, of 12 years old and up. And uh, it was a pseudo-military um, organization during World War II and the Korean War. And then up until, um, well, about, um, I guess, uh, 30 years ago, um, it, well, 19, excuse me, 1941, Congress made the Civil Air Patrol a, an actual organization connected to the Army Air Corps at the time. And the, um, the, as, as soon as uh, Pearl Harbor happened, we became the primary communication systems between military bases and things where we could fly supplies in and out, and, and we volunteered to fly up and down our coastlines, coast to coast, and east coast, west coast, and, and the Gulf Coast. So we were carrying on a very, very important job. You don't hear about it very much because, as a rule, Civil Air does not brag or talk about it. although we have the same benefits that people that go all the way up through ROTC do. We have... We have kids that come in at the age of 12 years old, and by the time they're uh, 16, they may be a cadet uh, captain or cadet uh, uh, major, what have you. If they get up to the cadet major, and um, uh, by the time they are 18, they can go into the military and skip the first three ranks and take the same advantages that uh, advanced ROTC students can get when they go in, into the military because they're well-trained. This is one of the things that we teach the kids, and we teach them to, to give respect. If you give respect, you will get respect. And that is so difficult right now with 
with the societies, the way it has been dumbed down, if I can use that term, in the schools. And some of the principals here are good friends of mine, and, and they're very frustrated with where they are at now. Um, we're in a place where a lot of changes are going to be made, and our job in Civil Air Patrol is is part of that in making it available to to students. We we go to the schools and things on a regular basis and give not regular basis, but we're we're having to do it all over here out in the country because unfortunately farming people and and they work all day long out in the fields and they're exhausted. They don't want to come in at five thirty and spend till seven seven thirty and they they'll drop the kids off maybe or have someone drop them off, and that makes it really tough on the kids to be able to to get the support from home. So our job is to make the parents, uh, get the parents involved. Right now, our little school in the town of 560 people of Berlin has gone down in three years. Uh, when I got it up to over 50 cadets and 12 adults uh, taking parts of it, and then I was part of the selection process of the uh, Mars program to where I was going to be part of a, to go one way to Mars and create a colony there. But then, so... The, it dropped all the way down to only four cadets. We got it up to 12, and now we're starting into a program to get the information out to the new crop of young people so that they can uh, learn how to give respect, get respect, how to set goals, how to do aerospace education, and uh, all kinds of programs that, that help the kids prepare for college and give them exposure to more than just math, science, and, and history. So we give them the right kind of history to help them get motivated. So that's that's one of the things I've been involved in, oh, for decades again. And I guess that's what 77 years does. It gives you a little bit of history there. So, yeah, that's, that's what uh, was about. Go ahead. I'm, I'm ready now. The STEM, the STEM program, folks, is a short way to say science, technology, engineering, and math. And that is used at NASA. We need engineers. We need women engineers. So uh, I'd also like to mention the UFOs factor fiction in the Central Intelligence Agency, the work, of, excuse me, the work of a nation, the center of intelligence, because the intelligence people in the world are getting a bad rap. <laughs> and uh, we really <clears throat> are going to have to clear up some history, rewrite history, once we know all the facts, especially right. with 2001. But we're, we may handle conspiracy theories, but not tonight. So uh, we have conspiracy theories, but if you would like to see how we are disclosing information to people on the Internet, please go to CIA.gov, and then it's a forward slash library forward slash reading room, forward slash collection, forward slash UFOs dash facts dash R dash fiction. There in people, there's a beautiful book, a world book that comes out by the CIA. Uh, and you can <clears throat> get that if you want, but there's electronic reading room, Freedom of Information Act, electronic reading room in the library. But if you'll look up, I'm just going to mention some things you can find, UFOs, fact, or fiction. So this collection catalogs CIA information on the subject from the 1940s through the early 1990s. Did you know that, Ken, that you could go to the CIA library and read about UFOs? 
No, I certainly didn't. I thought you had to go to Roswell. I thought you had to go to Roswell and read some of the stuff that I put up. (laughs) Well, actually, no. Most of the documents concerning uh, the CIA cables reporting unsubstantiated UFO sightings in the foreign press in intra-agency memos, meaning inside, about how the agency handled public inquiries about UFO sightings. And then for the most part, I've been studying it for years, and I've been studying the FBI, and I'll go over and get that. And uh, we can put these links free for people, but we're going to educate you about all the things that they're there in our group that people are not familiar with. And if Ken wasn't familiar, that's amazing. So, Ken, I'm happy to report that we have a CIA and the role in uh, helping the the information get out to the public. So we're going to be – I thought a long time ago when the government used the word transparent – that it meant letting people know more instead of fake news. And why don't they talk about the CIA and the findings of fact? You will hear, especially when I did JAG investigations, the Judge Advocate General, we have many depending on what department or what what the part of the government. But let's just say for the most recent CIA information on UFOs, we have articles like CIA's role in the study of UFOs, 1947 to 1990. And the Center for the Study of Intelligence website, we have CIA.gov Library Center of the Study of Intelligence. So there's articles online and publications under the Studies and in Intelligence section, specifically semi-annual edition 1, 1997. Now, I'm going to read some of these to you, Ken, so it'll be here for anybody to find on YouTube. We have Flying Saucers. We have German Scientist article on Flying Disc. We have Light Phenomena East of Tashkent. Flying Saucers published in Unknown. Recent Sightings of Unexplained Objects with memo attached dated 521202 sub. And then we have Minutes of Branch Chiefs Meeting of 11 August 1952, flying saucers in Spain and North Africa, flying saucers, and then we have an untitled gives information on Der Flager, a sports magazine that was reported for the CIA, an article, and uh, we have uh, flying saucers in East Germany, USSR and satellite mention of flying saucers, flying saucers over Belgium, Congo, uranium mines, uh, all kinds, okay? So uh, flying saucers, flying saucer problems, sightings of unidentified flying objects over Spain and Africa. There's so much unidentified object over Norwegian town. So just to let you know, um, we're not really as dumbed down as people think we are, but I understand how, what uh, Ken does because we say that a lot among ourselves talking about how America has been dumbed down. And it's up for America to be made great again based on dissemination and communication of information, not just misinformation or disinformation that you get every day. And some of the medical doctors, when they were treating my husband, God bless him, he's passed over, that started the Allied Command with a patch that – 
<clears throat> Commander Johnston has so uh, humbly agreed to carry on the tradition in our ACE Folklife Society, which we report to the Smithsonian, pictures and stories and cultures in the world, but especially in the United States of America, is the Allied Command starting right here with American Communications Online and the United States of America. And we are going to share more information to make America great again, folks. And that includes CIA, the work of a nation, the Center of Intelligence, and FBI. And I'm just going to let Ken help us out here. Ken, do you know what FBI stands for? The Bureau of um, uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI. There you go. Right. That, you got it. Yes, you are. I have to ask you a question, uh, and you may find this humorous. Do you know what NASA stands for? No. Why don't you tell me? Well, we call it the never a straight answer. I'm sorry about that. Some people won't like me saying that, but unfortunately, that's quite the information that you were getting. I was going to you said that that information was, is good. I thought it was the National Aeronautic Space Administration, but that's not what, true. <laughs> NA, uh, NASA was, yeah, yeah, it was the National Aeronautic Space Administration. But we jokingly call it never a straight answer. You were talking about the information is available, but the problem is, is no one is taught unless you get involved in an organization that does have the information and teaches you, or you can go to the CIA's uh, libraries and you can get the Yes, the information is available. But if you don't know where to go and find out, you're still just as dumb as the rest of us were. That's a good point. Well, Ken, you've just helped out the world. It's not just the (laughs) information that is available. It's knowing the question to ask to obtain the information, isn't it? You have to know the question. (laughs) No. And, and, well, hopefully what we're hearing now, and, and with that new expression, I'm going to make America great again. We need to make Earth great again, and that is to be able to, to join our proper position throughout the, the inner solar systems and, and the rest of the galaxy and be, become a part of the alien intelligence throughout the universe because that's going to allow us to, to move forward and save the planet to bring peace and happiness and 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 we won't we can eliminate the poor, the hungry, the, the injured, the hurt, all this by getting more in direct contact with the intelligence beings and uh, be able to benefit from that instead of sitting back and staying in the same primitive mode that we were in before because of the cabal keeping all the information away from from, uh, from the standard normal human beings. We need to yeah, I'm, hopefully I'm put into the same bracket those are trying to get the truth out to the world. The rest of the people need to come forward with it. And the more we have out there, the stronger we become, and the sooner we will get all the, in, the information public and be able to help advance us all to take our place in the universe where uh, we'll join those that are out for the good of, of beings throughout the whole universe. That may sound kind of big, but that's in reality what I, I see for our future. Well, I hope when you go back to listen to yourself and me tonight explaining our Allied Command organization and our UFO Secret Space Command is that you and I can get on the same page about unexplained phenomena. And 
our audio and our video because we're going to be doing audio and video. Our, is that the way this hearing and seeing? Yeah, audio and video in my business, but I have productions. We're doing pre-production, production, and post-production. But the reason I mentioned the FBI is they also have unexplained phenomena in the Federal yep. Bureau of Investigation. Did you know that? Uh, yes, we run. I've run up against them so many times, though, in trying to get uh, information released. And, and um, sometimes you get papers that have been released that have been marked up and blocked off so that you can't read what was there. So the freedom of information is is a true thing, but then to be able to get it requires a lot of, of energy and backing. And slowly but surely we, we chip away at it, and, and the truth starts crumbling out. And we're at the point now where the walls, the walls of, of not dis well disinformation, but of secret information worldwide starting to crumble down, and that's that's part of the reason why we we created our um, little secret space uh, uh, group club, whatever you want to call us, so that we can find out what it's like to try to get the information released and be a part of it and, and enjoy the process that we're doing. That's a good point. Um, why we would bother to talk to each other on radio or on television. <laughs> Now, you brought up a good point. There are levels of education, folks, just like we learn. And globally, universally speaking, Ken and I are very much about universal life in the universe and in all universes. We call them multiverses. And we will talk at those levels in the future much more. But we're trying to get grounded here with uh, NASA, CIA, FBI, the intelligence communities in which – Ken worked at NASA and for Grumman, and I, my husband worked at NASA, and I worked at Nassau Bay National Bank across the street. But I was privileged because of the UFO business. I had psychic abilities, so I'm just going to share that with you, that my husband used to brag about it, and it got around some of his engineering friends and back into NASA. And some people had me come and talk about UFOs because I had experienced Sputnik. And as a child, people that when I died with hepatitis and I saw angels or ETs. And so this, you know, you hear it. I was only 15 when I married him, November 10th, 1967. He immediately went to work. We bought our first car and our wedding rings. We bought a Volkswagen, 1968 beige colored Volkswagen. So yeah, that was I really was a lot of people did Volkswagen. back then. I married first, yes. What <laughs> color was yours? Um, a very dark blue. Mine was beige, and then later we got a light blue one. So we went from beige to light blue, but our first one in '68 was beige, but, you know, and we, and we may uh, sometimes get off topic here of UFOs <laughs> and Allied Command, oh, yeah. but the meaning of the Allied Command to bring those that are already in reality so people will talk about the history on the planet, maybe some people will be allowed to come forth in public relations if they'd like to, they're invited, of the Central Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, Federal Bureau of Investigation, the um, Allied Command Organization, the Supreme Allied Command in Europe, any of the uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, usually, you know, they don't usually come forth, and they're very funny about what they're allowed to speak while they're in uniform, even down to just the enlisted are the officers. But we're going to extend that. But 
it may just be those retirees that want to talk before they pass over, which we're finding out in our business, in the ACO Association and the UFO Association, that people are getting older. The baby boomers have retired or are retiring now. And Ken and I are one of those. And now we have time to share in public relations work. And we both wore uniforms so we can talk the military style. And Don Garrett can. And he also likes to talk about spiritual things. So we can do that too. I have ascensionage.com. Now, Kent, we can talk about off-planet and all those universal people. We're in the last 40 minutes or so, 43 minutes. Did you want to mention something to do with events and the stories out there that are coming forth that may or may not be nuts and bolts? Like Mutual UFO Network has uh, July 50th anniversary in Roswell year was 1947. So Roswell, New Mexico, folks, every July 4th has a big event there. So Roswell, New Mexico, there's a new television show I'd like to tell you about that's really good. And it's back. It's uh, written with new people in a more modern time. So there's, it's different than the original Roswell TV show. But I resemble that. I went to Roswell, so I have my own Roswell story to tell when I met Glenn Dennis and how I wound up writing my first book called Roswell UFO Encounters or Roswell Encounters. I even forgot it's so old. But uh, there's one out there in Cosmos Connections out there. And uh, I'd like to mention at this time that Ken has written a a book or two. So, Ken, let's mention your book real quickly. What was your book names that you've written? My first book uh, is Ken's Moon. And it's an autobiography, and it takes you through a lot of what I talk about, but it gives pictures, documents, records, information all the way up and all the way through NASA and um, some of, uh, a lot of what we, we saw on the moon with, with uh, evidence and documents and letters from um, astronauts that were involved with the same thing that made it public. And the second one was uh, the regression of a, a NASA whistleblower, and, and I, I sometimes cringe when people use the term whistleblower, although I've I've now reached the point where I'm, I'm be, beholding the term that people that are willing to come forward and bring the truth and the stories and the documents and information that we need in order to, to get this information available to the public and get the, the full disclosure going. That we want. So um, I guess I can accept being called a whistleblower if that's what they want to do. Now, the third book is um, The Hypnotic Regression, which goes into some of what um, – TJ was just talking about the fact that in my life there have been points and places where uh, lost time, uh, things that have tapped happened to me that I, I am now coming out and understanding. Um, a, a perfect example, I'll throw one out for you right now, and then that was at, in the, uh, the first and second grade at Hart, Texas. During um, about October of 1947, 1947, 1948, anyway, um, there was a tremendous that happened just outside of, of Hart, Texas, and um, I mean, just tremendous downpour and thunder and lightning going on over. In those days, you know, we didn't have air conditioning and things like that, and I, I like to sit up in the, the window with the window up and, and my feet on one side of the window. I was a little guy, and sat there and watched the lightning flash. You know, well, the next morning, my stepdad, T.C. Ray, received a phone call from a neighbor about uh, five miles away. He said, did you see that big lightning bolt that struck right up from where you live? 
And um, DC goes, no, we didn't do that. So my brother AR and Jimmy and I put on our boots and our coats, and we went across the the mud of the, the dirt road that ran in front of the house that we had, and across the fence and went out in this field. And it was about a uh, this was a maize uh, field that hadn't been harvested yet. Like I said, it was in October, and uh, it was all flattened down in kind of a swirled area. And on the far side, oh, oh by the way, I got there first because I'm the baby of the family. AR's sophisticated; he's not going to run. And Jimmy's kind of in between. He doesn't care. So I ran ahead of them, and I got to, which was about a football field away from our house in this other field. And this area was flattened out where the maze was. And I'm at the edge of it looking at it. And on the far side, there's this big, giant bird. We call it a hooping crane. And it's standing at the far side. And it turns its head very slowly. It's staring at me. And then turns its head back to forward and starts making trots across, you know, running across the uh, uh, the, the field of, and sort of leaped up in the air, opened its wings, and then poof, disappeared. So when AR and Jimmy got to the circle, I asked them, did you see that thing? Did you see the bird? Did you see what happened? And they, oh, they never saw anything. Well, under hypnosis, um, and, and it, I thought I would only been hypnotized for about 15 minutes maybe. It was two and a half hours that had been recorded, and I'm putting it into a book form. Um, <laughs> what came out of that is he asked me, he says, what does the bird look like? He said, and, and I was describing, he says, take a look at, at the feathers and look at the feathers. If they, if they fall away, what do you see? And I'm, it's a long pause, and I'm like, I said, it's, it's this gray-looking being. And in reality, what it was was, was a gray, and it made several steps across and was beamed up and then left. So those kind of things are coming out of, of the hypnotic regression. And uh, another session is going to be done here in the next couple of months, and hopefully – I'll be able to give more information, particularly about uh, our project having to do with Mars and our Mars uh, space station that we have there. And gentleman by the name of um, uh, Andy Bishago, he's an attorney up in Washington area, Washington State, and uh, he was a part of the secret space program, and where we had a base and everything on. And we have actually jump rooms, and by jump room I mean uh, the ability to teleport from one one place to another. So for people that have been listening to this for the first time that don't have the experience, they're going to say, oh, that's a bunch of hooey-hooey, a bunch of ha-ha. And I tell you what, you go ahead and think about that. But if you want to do the research and dig in and get the truth, you realize that since President Eisenhower um, had the contact with the uh, beings that offered um, a lot more technology, et cetera, but we were right at the end. This was 1948. And we're, uh, I believe it's 48, where Eisenhower made a, a meeting with them, and they were offered um, the technology that we needed at that time. But the decision was made. We just finished up World War II, and to um, maintain peace in the world, the the story, the joking came out. You know how you keep peace in the world? You have the biggest hammer, and that's what happened with the the H bombs and all. It was the biggest hammer. Well. Since then, and then Eisenhower is a parting when he left the office of president, he said we had to look out uh, for the um, – oh, what in the world was this here? <laughs> DJ, he helped me out with the term, what, what we called it, um, the um, – oh, mercy. At any rate, um, you had to look out for, for the, the, the government uh, that getting control. The industrial complex. Yeah, the industrial complex. Thank you so much, dear. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if it's age or what, but sometimes you're, you get so caught up with so much you're trying to get fast as you can that you, you, you get kind of clogged up. I do that. Forgive too. Me. 
You folks just just bear with me when that happens, and I'll do my best to keep the truth going. And, and so, so um, as I'd mentioned, Andrew Bishago was uh, could tell you an awful lot. He's an attorney, and he uh, he's become a very dear friend of mine. And we found out that he and I actually uh, wound up meeting each other um, on on Mars as part of the Mars uh, program, not program, not basically started, that we have. He started uh, I that, and I found out about him, was the Pegasus Project. That's correct. So I, everybody look up the Pegasus, just like the horse, P-E-G-A-S-U-S, Pegasus Project, and you'll find in YouTube and on the website Andrew Bashago and somebody in the past called it Basiago, B-A-S-I-A-G-O. But he says, and I'm getting this from him personally, if my ears were in ten when Ken and I met him in 2017, had you met him before you and I were with Andy, but it was Andrew Bashago. He says Bashago. So yeah. like Dr. V- Dr. Shivago, Bashago. No, but, but when I met him for the first time, it was like we knew each other for for had known each other for years, and now I'm starting to understand why. And, of course, now um, who's who's the Indian that um, uh, William White Crow was also there on Mars at the same time? They, they'd gotten into an area where um, it, was, it was kind of a life-or-death situation, and I, I flew over in what we call the hopper. Uh, it was kind of like a, a, a rocket or jet-propelled, helicopter device where I could fly over and land in the area and pick them up and got them out of it. So that's where we first had come in contract and contact, excuse me, uh, was on Mars. Now I'm, I'm anxious to get more information about that. And, uh, and not, and, um, Sasha, uh, Dr. Sasha is, is one of the well-known ex- experts in doing hypnotic regression sessions. So I'm looking forward to either him or someone else who's a, a, a professional and that and it might even be to my advantage to get a, another hip, a hypnotist, uh, a PhD, a doctor, a hypnotist, so that there's no confusion about uh, the information that has been locked up inside me for all these years and coming forward. And I was just talking about that one event that I had when I was a little kid. But as you grow up, there have been other events where um, I, there was a, in my memory, where was I? What happened? And there's this big blank. And then, of course, now I'm the only one still alive. My Two brothers are gone, my mother's gone, the fathers are gone, the stepdads are gone. Actually, I'm the last of the Mohicans, if you want to look at it that way. And um, I, I found out a long time ago, you don't talk about, you know, well, my, my mama died when she was 65, and so I probably will too. Well, you know what? You probably will. But in my case, um, I know I'm going to live at least past 180, and the way things are going right now, I know I'll move on towards 200. So my objective is to keep healthy, stay focused, and um, get the involved in, in the truth and going on. Who knows? I'm, I may be part of this next colony that goes to Mars again. So uh, don't be surprised if you start hearing my name a little bit more often out there. So I think that's well, as far as I can get. Well, in our UFO association, we do have hypnosis, but uh, we're not endorsing anybody right now, Ken, but we can say that ACO uh, we'll have a link to various people, and uh, we've one of our past uh, consultants, is like a board of director for our ACO association, was the president, and probably still is of Arizona Hypnosis. And then 
Janet's uh, husband, Sasha, that you're talking about, Dr. Lesson, his sister is the uh, certification board, I guess one of the directors at least, in her area in California. And then I'm not sure who it is in the country uh, area of Albuquerque, but I know there's Christian Raphael and uh, there's another guy there, Barrios. Let me see if I can find his information. But uh, David Fisher Hypnotherapy and uh, Albuquerque, there's uh, David Fisher and there was a clinical hypnosis uh, level two training, but we we're looking to help people get certified. And I'm in Florida, and we'll certify in our ACO Association and UFO Association. But uh, clinical hypnotherapists look for there's David was a hypnotherapist and a Reiki master at one time. Academy of America in Santa Fe. It's located in Albuquerque. But uh, you may want to look David B. Fisher up, and then we may can get him on the show. Uh, you may want to ask him if you'd like to come on the show and explain what a Reiki master and a clinical hypnotherapist does. But he went to the uh, Hypnotherapy Academy of America, formerly in Santa Fe, located in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, wow. he, <clears throat> yeah, he was approved by the International Board of Hypnotherapy. <laughs> so you may want to look him up. Yeah, we'll and, have to talk uh, about that. Now, see, I actually was a hypnotist during um, uh, high school and in junior college because um, I, I had studied as a very young teenager all the systems of, of hypnotism. And at military school, I actually would hypnotize some of the students and help them uh, cram for exams and be able to remember um, everything that they had studied and read. So... Here I was very concerned. I, I had actually keyed myself, and that's a term used where you, you put up roadblocks to prevent people from being able to hypnotize you or, or to uh, very quickly hypnotize you through certain techniques. And I, it took me two months to prepare to allow Sasha Lesson to um, be able to go through that barrier and actually conduct uh, uh, hypnosis on myself. So now I, I'm a, it's the first time you and I have discussed um, other sources of uh, professional hypnotists and um, psychology involved, and I'm, we'll talk about it later, and we'll see if we can set that up, because that's important to, I know that having been chosen to be a part of, of the space program and, and being involved, even where Andy Vichago was involved, and having a lot of the things that are, were starting to come out in that two-hour session, two and a half hours, um, I'm very anxious to get in and find out more because the more information I have, then the more information I can put available and then I can have evidence and documentation to prove it. And the faster we can get the the full disclosure to the public and to the world, the sooner life is going to be better for the poor people and those that are you know, looking for a way to get out of the, the hole or cave that we, we put ourselves in. And um, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a lover of society and people, and I want to be able to help them and the best way I can do it is to put myself in a position where I have to learn and be a part of making it available to the world instead of keeping it secret. Well, we have an American Council of Hypnotherapist Examiners, and we have an International Board of Hypnotherapy uh, and a certification process. So those of you listening, Uh, a cert- certified medical support clinical hypnotherapist will be a CMS, 
and a fellow of the International Board of Hypnotherapy is FIBH. So uh, they have specific training in medical support hypnotherapy. Some have to be called in by a doctor. So uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, and that's the closest to you, I believe. So you can look for International Board of Hypnotherapy uh, and then as a dear medical professional, right? And we do have those that we'll list in our UFO association and in our UFO association. So, And uh, just like we're going to have the FBI, the vault, fbi.gov, that sounds funny, doesn't it? The FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. So uh, the vault has a lot of records about UFOs. It's uh, vault.fbi.gov forward slash UFO. So in 1947, a rash of sightings of unexplained flying objects, UFOs, swept America. Although the newly formed U.S. Air Force was the primary investigator of these sightings, the FBI received many reports and worked for a time with the Air Force to investigate these matters. So there's a release now in the FBI's role in investigating such reports between 1947 and 1954, which we think of 47, we celebrate July 4th, 1947 as the anniversary, but some people saw and go by the Roswell uh, reports and others around there, but Stanton T. Friedman, Stanton Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, like Friedman, I think, but F-R, maybe it's D-I-D-M-A-N, is it? Yeah, so... Stanton, he's been on our radio show, but Stan's written many books about Roswell. And so we'll plug Stan. He's called the godfather, the godfather of the UFO biz. And we're going to talk a little bit about alienology and the difference between alienology and ufology. So, uh, Ken, did you get a list there of the words that I sent you? Alienology, cosmology, by chance? I have to apologize. I did not open up my email once we started on the radio, but I can do that right now while you're talking. I apologize that I didn't do well, that in one second every, here. Okay. Every day I'm amazed at how much information is available to me when at one time I couldn't get the word alienology. And now they have people search for alienology, the complete book of extraterrestrials. So they also search for people that have been on my show, Intelligent Intervention by Robert Stephen Thomas, Sasha Lesson, Anaki False Gods, and Anaki Legacy of the Gods. So we're helping people uh, because we literally on this radio station have built a new era in time with Ascension Age and quoting the word alienology and making it something since uh, May 10th of 2010, we went 10, 10, 10, and now we didn't have it on uh, Wikipedia, but it had fandom powered by Wikia, but now the word's showing up. So I hope people, if one thing they can say is, Teresa helped us know things that we may not have known and got it into the internet, into Google, into Wikipedia, if I don't have anything else, it was learning how to communicate words so the common public could find more ways of learning about extraterrestrials and alien cultures, alien biology. We have Intergalactic Council 
of hostile aliens. <laughs> and then we yeah. have the game. And uh, Ken, we need to yes. let people understand people like uh, those that are going off planet and why we had the wars and why the people with all the money, the top one percenters, didn't want people to know about all of this stuff. And yet now there's the fear of the world coming to an end in our theology. That's always been the war of the worlds, in the war of the gods. And now we've got them on all these gaming systems. And uh, we have Comic-Con. And you know what I mean? Uh, Stan Lee died here in 2018. We'll miss him. And he followed me on UFO Secret Space, but I mean, uh, well, UFO Digest in Canada. But unexplained phenomena, UFOs, and the level of existence that people do not know about is now available in the Internet. And alienology is part of that. Uh, the study of aliens versus UFOs, ufology, the study of UFOs. Cosmology, the study of the cosmos. Phenomenology, the study of phenomena. And I'd like you guys to start working with us in educating yourselves on these ologies because it's going to be controversial. Just like in the intelligence world, we've broken it down into the CIA, FBI, NSA, National Security Council, NSC. But the main thing you need to remember is it's NSA in the government. Before that, we had, you know, other companies, but mainly. NSA used to be a secret national security agency, and we'd still use, uh, because of national security, we'll go and say, oh, you can't say that because it'll hurt our national security. But now that we've gone global with the Internet, Ken, you and I talking with everybody, universal level, many multi-universes, is sort of a moot point because all these space agencies are working together in space, are they not? The Russians and the Chinese and, you know what I'm yes, saying? They they're working. The, the primary ones are Russia, the United States, um, uh, China, Japan, um, have been working together on um, bases on the moon as well as on Mars, and they have their own portion of the secret space agency. And just now, India's uh, just recently launched um, satellites into orbit. They've also sent one to orbit Mars. So the the largest population in the world is in India, and now they're coming on. So, um, yeah, the truth is out there, and it's it's I, of its own accord. It'd be awfully hard to to get it to stop. So, but I'm looking forward to keeping it moving at a, at a faster pace because the quicker we can get uh, Mother Earth banded up again, taking care of all of the chemicals and crap that we're dumping in it. No wonder. Uh, you know, I'm not a well, let's put it this way. I'm I'm interested in doing what's right, and if it means, you know, sticking my neck out, I guess I've done that. So we'll just keep moving, okay? Well, Elon Musk, Sir Richard Branson uh, with Virgin That's Airlines, right. and right. Tom DeLong just started a new company in uh, Delaware. He formed a Delaware corporation. And then he filed in California, which is ultra expensive. I don't know why, except that he lives there, because it's so <laughs> expensive to run. But Elon Musk has spent millions to, uh, maybe billions, but millions for sure. I think $100 million he lost in just one uh, <laughs> well, craft to get off the ground. 
<laughs> he said, "How do you how do you run a big company worth millions?" He says, "Start with uh, how do you run a small company? You start with a large company." I thought that was funny the way he said it. it was sort of a joke, but you know, Ken and some of the YouTubes he's done, his depression. It, he looks depressed, folks, because he knows the truth. He knows he tried to tell the world where we were going in the future. And he may be somewhat of a visionary. I would like to think he is because he understands the gaming, the wizardry, the uh, the way that we're doing games and the Internet and our children playing them every day, including my grandchildren. They don't know a lot of the difference between wars and games and wars on the planet, and they're sure not going to be able to tell the difference in AI, artificial intelligence. And he's tried to tell people around the world this. And they said he, he, he said in a YouTube video, you can find Elon Musk, E-L-O-N is a funny name, but E-L-O-N and then M-U-S-K, and what he's doing for the world. And no, then he said they're no, not going to be able to tell the difference in, just, in what's a, real and what's not. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was, it was just a week or so ago that Elon Musk, went to Washington, D.C. and was taken into, uh, I believe it was the CIA, and he was given a, a private briefing. And uh, <laughs> that may well have been when his his um, countenance dropped a little bit because I'm sure it was information was provided to him because he, he's definitely on his own uh, preparing to uh, launch to the moon. And uh, so the, the, the truth is coming out. It is coming out, but it's our job to keep it moving because otherwise we'll fall back into primitive we have to. Well, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. Then there's the reality that you can find proof of in 3D. And Richard Dolan, God bless him, he doesn't have all the information right. But neither does Corey Good, and neither does anybody that I know. So remember, people, all of us are talking about our firsthand experience, our memories we're recalling. And if you listen to Corey Good, he doesn't claim to have been there in physical. He talks about a 20-back program, meaning a memory that he's created. And this was out of the Montauk, Philadelphia experiment, uh, Pegasus, which Andrew was in, some stuff I was in. We called it Stargate to the Cosmos. And we were putting all those together, Rainbow Project, the Philadelphia experiment with the nuclear war. And the government from World War II forward, because uh, well, I've been quoted saying my husband used to say because I'd ask him and I'd write about it that they took some. It's like giving a, uh, giving us matches. But uh, Jim Mars started quoting me and my husband back in the day when he was reading what I was writing. And Jim Mars was a great investigator in Texas, or journalist, and got some books out. And then we've uh, featured some people that he worked with in uh, one of our uh, authors clubs that meet at the authors. Uh, events. So we're, we've had a gentleman on here to promote their books and Jim Mars and, uh, and now that he's gone. But Ken and I are doing our best to let you know, in a, I guess in a nutshell, Ken, for the beginning of what we're going to add to our Allied Command organization. And we've got acoclub.app because I have to run it like a club so we have more, I guess you could say, less legal um, less legal, less red tape. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> less no, that's red tape. <clears throat> that's yeah. that's yeah. just being honest. 
right? Because we're not the NCIA, we're not NSA, we're not FBI. We don't have a government backer. Ken and I got me and him. That's it. So, and I'm paying for the radio place, and I'm paying for the prison out there. But Ken is available to show up in human form, and uh, he and I are both going to be event speakers. But until I can afford to get to these places and share my story because it's new, there's pieces that are old. Ken's got pieces that are old, but he's writing his new. And we're going to try to put all these together. But Ken, you know, there's a lot of people speaking, Dr. Stephen Greer, Richard Dolan, Linda Moulton Howell, uh, David Wilcock, Emery Smith, Corey Good. Uh, let's see, Joan Ocean has her place with the dolphins, swimming with the dolphins in Hawaii. Uh, God, there's so many speakers. Oh, yeah, there, and some some great ones. I was going to just ask you, though, if you you, you had mentioned, um, um, well, I'm talking about David Wilcox, and he's put up quite a few um, um, video programs that we're going to be using with him. Um, um, oh, what was the what's the guy that he he's backing primarily? We just mentioned his name ago, and I hope it's never mind. I might apologize. Yeah. Let me. I explain didn't write it this. down. All right, let me explain. He went on Gaia TV. So, people, yeah. you need to learn how to follow the money if you really want to be a researcher, and a ufologist, or an alienologist, or a historian. I'm quoted as being a journalist, investigative reporter, or investigator most of my life. I was a private investigator. I was a government investigator. I was a legal investigator, and you'll have to look in. There's three different terms, and private investigators are private, like independent, and then legal works for attorney, okay, works for an attorney, and government works for the government, and I went in and out of country, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, so I dated Secret Service that worked for George Bush, I dated FBI agents in Houston, Texas. I met many times with uh, FBI agent. It was Officer Brown, or Special S.A. Brown, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, while I was a private investigator. And then the men in black came to visit me. They visited me in 67, again in 87, and again in 2007. And uh, there's a lot of agencies out there. There really are men in black. And I've been interviewed by uh, someone well, more than once, but there's a lot of things about me that I've kept secret from time to time because my husband in his position with uh, as Sergeant Morris and working for President Reagan direct, and he didn't want me to share a lot of information till he passed over. But I now have permission. He passed over. He's on the other side. I guess I'm like Whitley Strieber. Isn't it Whitley Strieber that thinks he still talks to his wife, Ann Strieber? Or is that no, think, wrong? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is? Okay, I don't uh, want to understand. Okay. I'll be quiet since I'm not positive. But he's a he's a big name too, right? Uh, Whitley Strieber, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine paved the way out on a limb, gave us permission to talk about channels. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Shirley, at her place... Um, up in north, northern New Mexico, uh, when I was up there uh, for a few weeks working. So, yep, it's funny how we we've crisscrossed people, you and myself, and um, 
never really worked together, but now we have the opportunity to use the experiences you had and the experiences I have, put it together in one package, and hopefully we can get a lot more truth out. Yes, and I want everybody to understand the levels we're talking about because there's going to be the 3D reality. Some people call it inside the matrix, but it takes all of us on the planet, and we call it the critical mass mind in uh, uh, real, actual reality. But when I've spoken in 2016 at the Mid-South Conference at the Memphis Hilton was my first speaking engagement coming out about UFOs, my books, and that was with uh, Bill M. Tracer, who has been a wonderful co-host on Saturday nights and Sundays. He may be coming back if he wants to help talk about religions or theosophy or philosophy or uh, world religions that have fallen off in ancient cultures. But we may do that on Sundays with Don Garrett and Bill M. Tracer if we can arrange it because uh, Don Garrett's 83 years old and a Baptist preacher. But we can do Sundays with Bill M. Tracer. But the point is, I came out in the paranormal world, so the key was paranormal. And an FBI agent told me, as long as I stayed under the paranormal with them, a CIA weird desk, I guess I've been under both. They know me. They still let me talk on, on radio and TV and YouTube, is the fact <laughs> that this stuff is sort of unbelievable. Unexplained yeah. phenomena, phenomena. It's sort of supernatural, weird, spooky, and would they know that in television, everybody's going to their direct channel free. Anybody can do live from your cell phone. So every one of us can be a reporter from our cell phone. You can put it right on Facebook. You can go on Facebook and report live, and a lot of our people are. So just remember, you're giving out free information on you and everything that you see and do and put in free social media, including me and Ken. So we have a lot of groups out there, <laughs> including UFO yep. Secret Space. So look us up, UFO Secret Space. I have Ufology 101, and I have Paranormal Network. So get involved with us and TJ Mars Agency. Uh, where do you want to go with this now? Because we're covering that that's on the planet, and then those people that are doing events and talking about their memories because Corey's is memories, and he has made, uh, look him up on LinkedIn. He's, I believe he's doing, he was asking for a graphic artist. I'll go look him up. But Corey Good uh, come up a long way, and uh, he is doing his own company now, uh, Corey Good. So back to you. You wanted to talk about Emory Smith, John Wilcock, I mean, uh, David Wilcox, so to bring you back while you're asking me to remember somebody. Emory Smith, Corey Good, David Wilcox, Gaia TV. Your turn. I, I guess <laughs> my, my uh, not concern, but um, um, one of the biggest things that you get taught to do, and, and I, I've learned the hardware, hard, not hardware, hard way, and that is you, you can listen to a lot of people and they can sound absolutely like they know everything in the world, and you, you until you can vet it is a good term to use, and you can do your own research, and you can check it out to find out. Now, I'm going to remain more neutral on some of these because if they rely on just strictly on memory, then then I want to know where the memory came from, okay, and just how actual and real it is. So I, I remain kind of a little, a little on the side on some of these, 
And they're really they're making a lot of money coming on TV and doing all that. So there's a lot of motivations for different ways. And I'm not going to say that's what it, what it is. But uh, in my case, when I came forward, I have records, I have documents, I have government published uh, information and material to back up everything that I've done and said with regards to our space program. And those of us that did the testing and the and things that we really did. And I just love it when somebody says, oh, well, we never went to the moon. And <laughs> give me about five minutes talking to them, and I'll have them on their knees saying, well, I guess I better go back and check that out. I said, yes, you better. And that's the same thing I'm saying. with. And, and, and forgive me, I, um, I I really have enjoyed meeting, uh, you know, David Wilcox, and I like his program. I've been listening this week, as a matter of fact, to hours of his uh, GAIA um, program. But then... Um, uh, Corey Good, on the other hand, I've been listening to his too. And it, it, from, I guess, if you were just to have only the information that has come out in the hypnotic regression sessions with me, you'd probably be just as concerned about can that really be true? And that, if that's the attitude you may have, well, that's fine. Do the research and find out if it's really true. Now, with with Andy Bishago, um he he had some very interesting events take place in his life that crisscrossed mine. And so that made me step back and kind of take a second look at uh, Bouchardos and say, well, you know what, I need to do some more regression and find out more about uh, those periods in my life where um, here's something people have to understand. Usually when you have been taken, and that's a good way to put it, and put into um, uh, these, uh, these places, either on Mars or what have you, and you spend time there, but when you come back, that memory has been washed and you're put back in the timeline. Let's face it, manipulating time is something else that is we might want to talk about a little bit in another event that I'm convinced has been uh, provided to our societies or to our, our cabal, if you will. And um, so this is where I'm concerned on being sure that I, I know exactly what these people are talking about and be sure it's true. That's where I'm. I'm staying here kind of neutral, but I'm really enjoying the information they're providing because I'm convinced that um, I've been a part of that. I just need to have the rest of the information and know, know where to get the proof. So once I have the proof, of course, the hypnotic regression, it becomes totally real in my mind. So we'll, we'll see where we're going from there. But what do you think about that, TJ? True. Dr. Sala on exopolitics.org has an interesting – I like Dr. Sala, and some people say he's naive, and other people say he's right on. So who do you believe, right? But uh, just to promote real quick, uh, Dr. Michael Sala, because he's been on our radio show, he was very sweet to me, and he was, uh, although he didn't do much of an investigation, he didn't come back to me for the information that I knew about uh, Bill uh, or the, you know William Tompkins, right? You and I were talking about yeah. William Tompkins, yeah. and Janet met him, and uh, he didn't follow up. So as far as investigations, yeah. people may not do a thorough investigation. Is what I would like to suggest. Now on his uh, site, and I'm not pro yeah. or con Dr. Sala, but I do like his exopolitics.org for what it's worth. So each person will have to decide if you and I are reporting what we believe is our truth versus Dr. Michael Sala on Corey Good. But uh, they said uh, you'll just have to read it for yourself, folks. Go to uh, 
exopolitics.org, hoax investigation, secret space programs exposed. Now, you don't know if that's pro or con, but I happen to know that Dr. Sala is working with Corey Good again this year with Joan Ocean at her get-together on the Big Island where Tommy Hawksplotter, I have to now say, Thomas Anthony Sinisi, also known as Tommy Blood Sinisi, and he has his own reasons for having a pen name. It was internal, and he's talked about it many times, so it's not a secret. But some of us have real names and some of us don't. Some of us have our pen names, our actor names, like uh, Cher. I never did know Cher's real name, even though I met her in person. I met her, and I've been with uh, her husband, Sonny Bono, so I know they exist. I've seen them with my own eyes. I've been with them. I've been with Bob Hope. I've been with Bing Crosby, Frank Groshen, Anita Bryant. Uh, Oh, my God, so many people. So I know they're real. Now, the difference is I haven't seen Corey Good in person, but a lot of people have. But they've also seen Bill Ryan of Project Avalon and uh, Richard Dolan speaking. They've also seen Dr. Stephen Greer and how he uses uh, some woo-woo to some people and other people. It's right on because he puts you in an alpha state or a meditative state, and we say beta, alpha, theta, delta, gamma, sigma, tau for the seven levels of thought processes. And they're different waves, and uh, then they say they see CE5 level, or they make contact with extraterrestrials. Now, I'm going to plug him just because tonight we're mentioning a lot of names in our business, but uh, it's a UFO association business, folks. <laughs> we associate, but we have a, our UFO secret space group, which is on, UFO, uh, on Facebook, which is a free social media spot. There's secret space programs, and then Corey Good. But uh, do you go over and read stuff about Dr. Solid, Ken, or is that putting you on the spot? No, not actually. I, I've, I've met him on a couple of occasions uh, in contact with Desert and so and all these other people that have been there that you're just mentioning. I've had the pleasure of meeting and talking with him. Uh, I have Dr. Solid's uh, books that he's autographed to me, and I've been reading them all, and uh, that's about the extent of my uh, direct knowledge of, of what he's backing and, and what he's, he's talking about, and I'm, I'm very impressed with what he's put out there so far, so and we're, we're making a lot of progress. I want to keep it moving. Well, okay. We'll, we'll keep it moving then. Okay. I'm going to put mentioned, uh, Dr. Sala mentioned, and, you know, I'm not pro or con. He's just a, a human that I've had on this, uh, on this uh, radio station, which is TJ Mars ET Radio. And my company, I had to form a bona fide legal company, uh, is an ACO or American Communication Online. So, uh, Ken, what would you like to talk about? Back to you. You can take it wherever you want to go. Well, I'm not sure I, I really understood which which area you were wanting me to go in, so you kind of hit me again. Okay, direct, Okay, I can do that. Well, we're, I had just talked about uh, Dr. Sala, and we're talking about people in the business, whether we're, we're not saying that we're pro or con or we're endorsing anybody, just so you know, but... We will be discussing uh, websites, links, some of the news in the future, Ken, for those right. that are in the real military 
and the ones like the critical mass mind that all of us affect the 3D world. But also a lot of my friends in the Ascension Age like to talk, like I'm an Ascension psychic and I do tarot readings, Ken, and we do the Akashic field like Sylvia Brown, Mystical Travelers. Do you remember Sylvia Brown by chance, a metaphysician? Uh, I know the name and know of her, but I, I don't know much more than just that. I'm sorry, but yes, uh, she did, she did exist or does. Yeah, she did, and she died, and she had a group and wrote some great books for Hay House. The man that started Hay House liked her and got her books out there, and she talked a lot about the afterlife and having it. She was sort of like a channel. She had a guide, a lady that would talk to her, and we talked about um, out on a limb with, uh, gosh, now I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, the famous actress Shirley MacLaine, and uh, we talked about or mentioned uh, Whitley Strieber, who I met uh, in San Antonio, where you, I guess, were born or grew up. San Antonio did something there. You bet. So you were born there. I was born there, Fort Sam Houston, at uh, San Antonio, Texas. Well, he had something to do with it because I met him there. And then uh, I met Deepak Chopra, at a uh, bookstore. It may have been San Antonio. I don't know. I don't remember because, folks, I've lived a long, long life and I've met a lot of famous people and it's amazing to me, but for a reason, I'm sure. And now Ken and I met and Ken, I guess right now you're the most famous person in the world that I have met. Because <laughs> that puts a target on my back. But by the way, I'm it, sorry. You, you referred to uh, us being old, no, I refuse to accept that because I think with the right contact with the extraterrestrials and what we've lived on and done, uh, we're just beginning, and we're going to hang on and keep moving as fast as we can. I'm not, I'm not looking to settle down. I'm, I'm here to go and keep, keep the ball rolling. So, okay, uh, well, I guess in a way we're sort of good that we can keep our minds because you got ten years on the three-day Earth plane, but. Now, Ken, what I'd like to do is explain that when people are listening, like Don Garrett, in your 3D world that's known you your whole life, and you switch over to spirituality, and we start talking ascension age, that's under why I made ACO Association, under Body, Mind, Spirit, Health, Saving Trees, Saving the Environment, uh, Metaphysics, uh, some of it's called New Age in the bookstores, Paranormal, you know, spiritual science, and we'll be working with that. Then on the UFO Association, seems to be more nuts and bolts people, but I've worked with Stanton T. Friedman, George Piler, Richard Dolan, Jim Mars, Dirk Vanderplug, uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee, Ph.D., Daryl Sims, CIA agent, and has our Alien Hunters organization, and we hope to get more alien hunters that want to follow in that. So we have alienology and alien yeah. hunters and alien con with Steve. Oh, what's Steve's last name? He's been on here recently. And Dan Cooper. Now, Dan oh. talks about the solar warden, but Dan also knows what you and I are doing is at a higher level. He calls them my people with the Allied Command. And Janet's working on various oh. levels. So how are you going to jump into uh, stamping the UFO secret space people that are just posting 
everything you can imagine under the sun on our Facebook page. But, Ken, you haven't had a chance to really get involved there, right? These are just friends that we don't even know who they are. We've never met them, most of them, in cyberspace. um, I'm looking forward to it because it's going to make our minds lock into other areas and bring more information out for them. And, um, of course, when you get into the theology side of my education and training in that and Dr. Theology, um, I'm going to be kind of squirming a little bit because I've uh, I've stepped a lot further away from the indoctrination that we had to go through to reach that state. And then same thing with my cousin Don. He, he's got to cover a lot of, of, of his understanding theology and, and of deity, et cetera. So that's going to be some fascinating stories that we're going to be getting into. And if the people that are here listening about it, by all means, get in touch with us and uh, – Give us your ideas and suggestions, and we'll see if we can't cover it. And with the contact that we have with people all over the world in reality, uh, I know I do, and I know that uh, TJ, she's been around. You know, you're younger than I am, TJ, but uh, we've been around the world a bit, haven't we? Yes, we have. I've been in and out of country to Europe and Japan and probably more places than I want to count right now, Africa. But, Ken, we're out of time, and we need to go since this has to get on YouTube. But uh, let's do it again next week, and you can go back and listen, and I will. Folks, I hope you'll go back and listen to it on YouTube within the next 24 hours. I don't know how long it takes. It may be right up there. But you can go by – I don't even know which one of my channels because I have so many emails, and each one has a different channel. But look for TJ Marcy Radio, Ken Johnston, and ACL American Communications Online because they were going on my – big company, American Communications Online, under ACO. And uh, I'll put that in here, Ken, and I'll put your name. So i put it both ways, Ken Johnston Sr. and Ralph K. maybe Johnston. So I'll learn, and we'll have yeah. to learn how to put your name, Ralph K. Johnston, Ken Johnston Sr. And I've got yeah. Don Garrett, so Don can find it. But I really appreciate your time. It's been a wonderful two hours. Thank you, Ken. I think we gave people a lot to think about, including you and me, and I'm so happy that our brains are still working. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, and you've just got me sparked with a lot more energy to, um, to hang in here and keep pushing forward. So I know we're going to have a lot more, no, I don't use the term followers, but let's say a lot more people that are going to join us and, and assuring that we're going to have full disclosure for the good, goodness of all mankind, both Earth and uh, interstellar. So, uh, folks, get out there and let's get with it. Thank you, Ken. All right, Ken, then I will talk to you on Facebook and email and uh, look forward to meeting you here next Friday. And by then, we'll have come up with a whole bunch of other stuff about. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Good job. Pleasure.